Welcome to our Roots Say That We're Sisters podcast. This podcast series is sponsored by the Marquette Forum with support from Marquette University's Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusion and the Haggerty Museum of Art. It's an extension of a Marquette University mural project to highlight and uplift diverse women-identified individuals whose images and contributions have been systematically made invisible. The artist, Mauricio Ramirez, used photographs of BIPOC women associated with Marquette as inspiration for the images in the mural. The Our Roots Say That We're Sisters podcast preserves the stories of female-identifying students, faculty, staff, and alumni who've used their gifts to make a meaningful impact on others, especially those who remain unsung heroes. I'm your host, Sheena Carey, from the Diedrich College of Communication. Joining us today is Samantha Major, Assistant Professor of English. Thank you for agreeing to share your story with us today. So, Samantha, what is the story you'd like to share with us today? Well, first, I'd like to say thank you for having me. And I would like to share a story about growing up in sort of a mixed-race household and finding my roots through literature and language. After, like many Native American families, my family lost touch with much of our culture. And that's through generations of assimilation policies. And my story is that anything that's lost can come back. So how do you identify? I know you said Native American, but you were telling me something else the other day. Yes, I am Dakota and Assiniboine descendancy. And what I mean by that is that I am a descendant of Dakota and Assiniboine people. Particularly, my family has had a history at the Fort Peck Reservation in Montana and Standing Rock Reservation in North and South Dakota. And I'm unenrolled, but my father is enrolled. And it speaks to the complexity of Native American heritage, really. So where do you come from? I was born in North Dakota on the Fort Berthold Reservation. Not really something in my own family's history, except for that that's where my dad had found work in construction when I was born. My mom's family is from North Dakota, and so I also identify as Dutch and with a scotch of Norwegian from her side. And I was in North Dakota and South Dakota until about the age of five. And from then on, I was a Minnesotan, or as we say in Dakota, Minnesota Makoche. Oh, I love that. So how did you get onto your path? I got onto my path, first of all, from a love of poetry. I love poetry. I have always loved literature and language. And early on in my schooling at the University of Minnesota Duluth, when I was doing my undergraduate degrees, I took two freshman seminars, one in sociology, one in English, and I majored in them both. And so I've always been interdisciplinary and followed that path of loving language. And then within English, there were few opportunities for me to read and think about Native American literature, but I sought them out throughout my student career. And I was looking in the literature to find what I was unable to get from my family. My grandfather, from whom I get my Native American heritage, passed away very young, when my dad was five, in fact. And so I knew of our heritage, but didn't have any access to the heritage. And so, of course, I looked for it in stories, which is a very rich place to find cultural heritage. However, it wasn't until my graduate work at the University of Minnesota where I had the opportunity to take the Dakota language that I really felt like I understood 
Dakota thinking and Dakota philosophy. And it really opened up a channel to my own family history. I'm interested, especially in the the acquisition of the Dakota language. Do you think differently when you're speaking or reading that language? How does that impact your thought processes? I think one does think differently if anybody's studied a second language. And I'll always be a second language learner. I certainly wouldn't consider myself fluent, although I've been studying it for over 10 years now. I think one thinks differently quite simply because it's a whole different grammar. And I've noticed this in Dakota, where the verbs are placed, what verbs are and how they change is very different from English. And the way Dakota philosophy works in the rules of speaking. So addressing a crowd like this, I probably should have started by saying, This is what I've been instructed to say when you're addressing a crowd. And that first word is which means all my relatives. And when you look at the root of that word closely, and again, I'm a language person, so for me, learning a language is about sort of thinking about etymology and what are the roots of the word. At the heart of the word is the word daku, which means what or something, something that is something to me, you all who are something to me. And it isn't necessarily speaking to just the human beings, the two-leggeds in the audience. It is saying, I'm going to address the world vocally, and I have a kinship responsibility to you and to the world to choose words carefully. And so even in that one little word and the protocol of speaking, there's a Dakota philosophy there. It's interesting because my grandson, when he was about seven years old, my daughter's been raising my grandchildren bilingually. And he said, I think in English, but I feel in Spanish. Do you have something similar when you're speaking Dakota? Do you feel differently or you're able to best express yourself emotionally through that language? I think it is absolutely a different feeling. It's a different rhythm. And I don't know how to, quite how to describe the difference, but it is a different mindset. And I love that language works that way. Okay, yeah, it took us a little bit off the track because I'm fascinated by languages as well, so... What are some other ways in which your identity has influenced the choices that you've made? It certainly influenced the choices that I've made in the way that my work concentrates on or draws from a particular part of my identity. There are several parts to my identity, like from my mom's side, Dutch and Norwegian. I certainly have French in my background as French fur traders married with Native people in in my family history. And in my work, I do concentrate on the Native American part of my heritage. And one of those reasons, I think, is in part because I'm an oldest child. I'm the oldest of four girls. And I felt a responsibility to connect with a part of our heritage that, again, was absent. My grandmother, the one who survived my grandfather, always tried to encourage my sisters and I to be proud of that heritage and to get to know it. She took us to powwow. She took us to museums. She tried to educate us. She tried to introduce us to people who could inform us in the way that our grandfather wasn't there to do. And so for me, there's a real family connection in learning about and teaching about Native American heritage. My grandfather went to boarding school, so he's part of that boarding school history. And it was a heritage that I think he didn't have feel the freedom to express. I'm going to take us down the rabbit hole again. 
I hear often, especially in an academic environment, that when especially people of color choose to do research based on their identity, that it's called me research and therefore less than. What are your thoughts about that? I think that's really interesting because I think so many people in academia really do choose things that come from their own passions. We're encouraged to do that. So when it's based on one's cultural or racial background, why was that seen as an exception or as something somehow lighter? Indeed, when I look at Native American literature, there's a real dearth of scholarship in this area. Same with Native American history. And in my class every day, students express surprise, express shock, express anger sometimes that they haven't encountered these histories and these stories before. So I would just say I really see at the ground level how necessary this work is beyond me. But that it comes from me actually is important because when I stand in front of the classroom, my students sometimes, I mean, maybe even often, are recognizing a Native American person for the first time. And it doesn't mean that they haven't been around Native American people, but Native American people in particular are invisible to the wider population because all we know of Native American people usually are sort of stereotypical images. So it is something and there is a purpose to me standing in front of those students and teaching this subject matter. So that actually leads us to the next question I have for you. How has the mural project resonated for you? Well, first of all, I voted for it. So I was very happy that this was the choice that we made. I think it is timely and poignant and just beautiful artistry. And I got to see it as it was going up. And I was so excited by the different representations in the mural. And I really like that it has sort of a stained glass effect, which to me signals that, of course, we have sort of four representations, but those four representations, I think, span wider and that effect signals the sisterhood that we're talking about. And I think it's so important, again, just knowing from my own students and my own experience as a student, that to see people like you being honored, being visible on a campus is incredibly important. And I'm glad we're doing it. What's been Marquette's impact on women of color? Well, I have to say I'm somewhat new to Marquette. I'm in my second year as an assistant professor. And so I'm still learning what that impact is. And I have to say, I think as with any institution, I know there are alumni who have paved the way for our students of color, for me, and I'm meeting some of them and very aware that I'm following in their footsteps because they've broken down barriers within the institution. And I think Marquette, as any institution, is responding and has responded to calls for diversity, calls for room and inclusion in various ways, and this mural being one of it. So historically, I'm not that well-versed. However, I think I'm very excited about all the work we have to do and the work that's possible for us to do at this point. So what about you personally? What's been the impact of being at Marquette, working at Marquette, as my daughter says, living in Marquette? 
How has that impacted your sense of self-worth? Well, to some extent, I think that outside factors affecting your self-worth is always a dangerous proposition. However, I'm going to answer it this way and say that I'm doing some really exciting work. I think there are really lovely people at Marquette. I think there's good work to be done. I'm so excited for students and, for instance, the Native American Student Association, the folks I've gotten to know, the community here. I'm coming from Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is a very cool town. I love it. It's home. But I'm excited to be in Milwaukee. Milwaukee has an attitude and a diversity that I haven't before experienced. And for me, it's not just about the Native community on campus, although I would like to amplify them. It's about the community at large and the opportunity to live in a more diverse community is rich with possibility. I guess I never thought of Milwaukee in quite that way. It is kind of nice to see it through someone else's eyes. Who have been inspirations for you? Women of color who have been inspirations for you? So many. I mean, for me, I could list a whole number of Native American writers, okay? Joy Harjo, our current poet laureate, all my favorite poets. Louise Erdrich, who makes her home much of the time in Minneapolis and is from North Dakota. I see myself and my family in her writing. And she also owns a bookstore and is a true advocate. So I admire her deeply and many other writers. I have had the privilege of being mentored by incredible women in academia. I think about Jeannie O'Brien at the University of Minnesota. I think about my own advisor at the University of Minnesota, Josephine Lee, whose specialty is in Asian American literature and drama, and now folks at Marquette who have already been huge sources of support and guidance. And so I would just say I have been very lucky in the sense of women in academia who open the doors for women coming up and offer opportunities and help along the way. I know studying literature is your focus. Are you writing literature as well? You know, I have always, of course, started as a poetry writer, which is why I'm a poetry lover. I haven't written in quite a while because I had... Non-academic writing, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. So I had a big dissertation to finish, and now I am working on the seeds of my next project. But I have been thinking about and getting that sort of urge to dip back into creative writing. And I think that's somewhere in my future. Okay, thank you. So what role has vulnerability played in the path that you've taken? I think this goes back to something we talked about a little earlier. Vulnerability does come in when you decide to study something that is personal to you. Because we do want to, or we're trained rather in academia to keep sort of that professional academic lens, that distance, that critical distance. However, when it's personal to you, it inevitably, I think, makes you vulnerable. I read literature that's very difficult, that often depicts a lot of hardship, generational trauma, and things that I recognize from my own family history. And in many ways, it has helped me understand why my family is the way it is, but it's often painful. One of the good things is that it's art. And I think learning history through art 
is, in my opinion, the best way to learn history. Sorry to all my history friends out there. But I really think it is so powerful. And I have the privilege of guiding my students through it. And I often ask them to take good care of themselves. And I use the Dakota word, take good care of yourself, sort of strengthen yourself. All about resilience when we encounter some of the most difficult, fraught, and painful parts of our collective history. You need to have that strength to do it. I worry sometimes students don't know what they're getting into when we take in this literature and this art. It can have a soul effect. So that's part of the vulnerability for sure. Mm, I like that. What impact do you hope to have on women of color, those coming behind you, those who are around you, those who may have already started on their path but are still looking for lessons? When I was at the University of Minnesota Duluth, there was one class available in Native American literature, and it wasn't in my English department. It was in the Native American Studies department. And my teacher was very gentle and soft-spoken, and she was the first Native American teacher I had ever had. And so I always take delight when someone discloses their own Native heritage to me and thanks me because I've been that student in the seat for the first time seeing myself reflected up at the podium. And I think that's important, but I would say my hope for impacting women of color is really my hope for an impact at all. I hope to be the kind of mentor that I've had, which is someone who looks for opportunities for others and for those coming up behind. And I just think, as we all do, I just want to represent my family and my subject matter well. So I know you've talked a little bit about this, but what are your hopes for the future? And that could be your future. That could be the future of Marquette. That could be the future for the Milwaukee community or even the indigenous communities. What's your hope? I think it's so important to hope right now. And sometimes it's very hard. We've been through a rough time, but the indigenous community has been hard hit for all the reasons we're having discussions around racial disparities in healthcare. My hope, and I feel strongly that this will happen, is that we come out on the other side having made actually a lot of progress because now these issues have been exposed in a way that I don't think anybody can look away from it. And I think this is true at Marquette. We are seeing movement and important discussions going on. And my hope is to be a part of that and a positive part of organizing a coalition. I think especially from my perspective as an advisor to Native students, as Native faculty, we are such a small part of the population and that's something to look into, but we're a small part of the population and we need to look to broaden our coalition and work together with people of color, with allies, so that we can sort of speak loudly in the way we need to right now. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. Rabbit hole moment. Allies versus accomplices. What do you think? Who do we need in our corner? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, accomplices. I mean, that sounds much more fun to me. I'll take it all. Whatever role they want to play, right? Whatever role they want to play. And everybody has a role to play because sometimes you have to meet people where they are. And some people are just needing education. Okay, again, like I say, 
In my classes, students come in and by and large, there's the absence of education on Native American history. And I can't teach the literature without them having that context. And so we learn the history through literature. And for some students, this is very hard. There's a resistance to accepting that this history is the truth. But when you read a novel and you're taken through this history through the eyes of a character, there's more chance of opening up to it. And that's just where some people are. Other people are ready. Is there anything else you would like the Marquette community to know about you and your journey, your story? Hmm. I think if I might just go back to talking about my language learning. So again, we can learn a lot through literature. But at the beginning of my second semester of learning the language, I'd called my grandmother who was alive at the time and she's since passed. And I was talking to her and telling her I'm taking this class in Dakota language. And we were talking about my grandfather. And all of a sudden, she began to say Dakota words. She said, Jahampi. She said, Washte. She didn't know what those words meant. They were words she was remembering from over 50 years prior that my grandfather must have said to her. And for the first time, I was having a conversation with my grandfather across time. I had no idea he even knew the language because he was sent to boarding school very young. And this is how things always come back. Nothing is ever lost. And I have a strong belief in that. And that's the story I want to leave folks with. Thank you so much, Dr. Samantha Major, for joining us today and sharing your story. Your story stands as a testament to the amazing stories in our community yet to be uncovered. Our Roots Say That We're Sisters podcast and The Mural Project seek to make these stories visible. Again, thanks to our sponsor, the Marquette Forum, Marquette's Office of Institutional Diversity and Inclusion, and the Haggerty Museum of Art for your support for this project.